Well, howdy. Welcome to the Mental Health Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Casey Waller, a licensed therapist and writer. On this show, you can look forward to brief episodes that inform, entertain, and occasionally might even inspire. The goal is for you to know or feel or try something that makes your experience of being alive a little more alive. I tell all of my clients in therapy, what I want most for them is to be the happiest, healthiest, and safest version of themselves. I want the same for you and for me. So with that, let's get to today's episode. Alcohol kills way more people than most of us think it does. In fact, it's the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. Nearly 100,000 Americans died of an alcohol-related death in 2020. These lives were lost in either accidents or from liver disease. Of those who died, nearly 75,000 of them were between the ages of 16 and 64. For that same age group in 2020, COVID killed 333 fewer people. Pretty wild, right? Alcohol was actually more lethal than COVID for the 18 to 65 crowd in 2020. Let it spin your head. As a therapist, I've talked to almost no one who didn't themselves run into trouble with booze over the last few years or have someone they love that did. If you read my last book, Depression, Anxiety, and Other Things We Don't Want to Talk About, you know I count myself among this rank. Alcohol, when I'm honest, has been both a blessing and a cursing in my life. But that's another podcast for another day. Prior to the pandemic, Alcohol-related deaths overall have been increasing by about 3% a year. The jump between 2019 and 2020 was almost 26%. That's a crazy big deal. What's perhaps even bigger is that alcohol-related deaths are generally underestimated because it's not uncommon for alcohol to be omitted from death certificates when the person performing the task is unaware that alcohol played a role. An example of this can be seen by looking at alcohol-related traffic fatalities. The United States Department of Transportation says there were more than 11,000 crash fatalities in 2020 where an illegal amount of alcohol was involved. Even so, only about 1,300 death certificates actually indicated alcohol played a role in the death. You might also be surprised to learn that alcohol is a factor in a third of all drowning deaths. It's also responsible for a significant portion of fires, falls, and homicides. All this to say, the relationship between alcohol and death is worse than most of us think. And that's saying nothing of the millions of people who have a problematic relationship with alcohol. In 2019, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism found that 14.5 million Americans ages 12 and older qualified for an alcohol use disorder. Of those diagnosed with the disorder, less than 10% received any kind of treatment at all. So the vast majority of people who are struggling with alcohol never receive any kind of official treatment. I'm going to say that again because I really want you to hear it. The vast majority of people having issues with booze don't get any help. It breaks my heart because it really doesn't have to be this way. Despite all of this, alcohol is, without peer, the most popular and socially accepted drug in the U.S. It is the only drug you have to offer an explanation for not consuming. Nobody pressures you to have a bump of cocaine if you refuse the first time they offer. But turn down a drink at a party and you're likely to be offered again and again and again. If you don't believe me, 
Ask anyone you know who attends Alcoholics Anonymous, commonly known as AA, and listen to their stories. Even people for whom alcohol has been nothing but destructive and thus choose the route of abstinence consistently find themselves having to defend this decision, one that in many cases has literally saved their lives. What's up with that? Why, as a society, do we pressure folks to have just one drink or make them feel uncomfortable for not wanting to put a toxin in their body? I could say so much about this, and I will in later episodes, because there are about a million important conversations to be had around alcohol. For today, however, I just want to do two things. Given that alcohol is connected to so much suffering and death, I'd like to first offer an experiment to explore whether or not you might want to reevaluate your relationship to booze. Then I want to point you in the direction of a few resources should you want to continue exploring, either cutting back or drinking in a more intentional manner, or perhaps even giving up alcohol altogether. Okay, first here's the experiment. The truth is that nobody really has a drinking problem. It's really just a stopping problem. It's not the drink that gets you into trouble. It's the inability to stop drinking that causes havoc. So here's something to try if you want to gather data on yourself to help you understand whether or not stopping is an issue for you. Before you go out to your next social event where you plan to drink, set a limit for how much you want to drink. It doesn't matter what the limit is. I mean, something reasonable like two or three drinks is probably preferable to 14, but the goal isn't to only drink a certain amount but rather to see if you have trouble drinking the amount you intend. You feel me on this? It's not about drinking, but stopping. Are your actions consistent with your intentions? The value here is the experiment will help you see the degree to which your intentions align with your actions when it comes to drinking alcohol. I'm a strong believer that data reveals reality. So either you'll remain within your limit or you won't. Either way, you'll know more about your relationship to alcohol afterward than you did before. And there, in the data, lies power for change. Welcome this evidence. The more information we have about what we actually do is what enables us to better analyze what we can do to move our lives in a healthy direction. Which, remember, is what we're aiming for. We want to be the happiest, healthiest, safest versions of ourselves. Take care of happy, healthy, and safe, and the real opportunities for your life will open up wide before you. Okay, let's leave the experiment there because I want to make sure folks who are questioning their relationship to alcohol are aware of some of the most accessible resources they can turn to in order to further explore the relationship. The most popular form of treatment, and by far the most accessible, is the organization Alcoholics Anonymous which most everyone has heard of because it's so often depicted in television and the movies. You know the scene. There's a group of people sitting in a circle who identify themselves by name and the qualifier of alcoholic. Not every AA meeting is exactly the same, but most of them go like this. Some traditions are read from what is called the Big Book. If you don't know, the Big Book lays out the AA program for recovery. It was first published in 1939 with the purpose of showing other alcoholics how the first hundred people who came to AA meetings got sober. The big book has now been translated into over 70 languages and remains the guiding text for the program, operating much like the Bible does for Christianity or the Quran for Islam. I've personally heard many people describe the book as divinely inspired. 
I've also heard many other people describe the language in the book with a far less flattering description, but we'll leave the critiques of AA for another podcast. After reading from the big book, if it's not a speaker's meeting, when one person gets up and shares a longer testimony, the meeting is then opened up for a time of sharing for anyone who feels led to do so. This is what you see in the movies. Hi, my name is Ryan and I'm an alcoholic. The group replies, hi, Ryan. Then I take some time to open up about how the reading impacted me or what's been going on in my life as it relates to alcohol. Sometimes the shares are short and sweet. Others are more involved. Now, what's cool about AA is there is a strict prohibition against crosstalk. This means that after you share, nobody offers feedback. This is helpful because going to AA, especially in the beginning, can be terrifying. I mean, it's hard enough to show up to a room of complete strangers and admit you're having trouble with alcohol. The only thing worse is having to speak up, having to actually say something. Sharing in this scenario is made infinitely easier if you understand that nobody is going to offer you judgment, feedback, or advice. They're simply going to listen to your experience, allow you the opportunity to externalize your internal thoughts and feelings. This is enormously powerful especially in a day and age where it's almost impossible to find any space where you can express yourself without having to hear what other people think about it. Now, this isn't to say this works perfectly in every AA meeting. I myself have been the recipient of some unwarranted and quite frankly, damaging counsel at AA meetings. But for the most part, I believe that those who attend AA respect this rule and provide safe places for people to share. But the real power of AA is in the work that gets done individually between a sponsor and a sponsee working the 12 steps. Diving headfirst into an individual relationship with someone in the program that's got some sobriety under their belt is probably the most efficient way for you to determine whether or not AA is a good fit for you. And who knows? It might be the most transformative decision of your life. It certainly has been for a massive number of people. Okay, so that's AA in the smallest of nutshells. AA is great, but it's certainly not for everyone. In fact, most people who run into trouble with alcohol don't need to actually remain abstinent for life. Now, you won't hear that in AA, but that is what the evidence bears out. And remember, I love evidence. Speaking of evidence, if you're not ready for an AA meeting, but you want to look at some of the evidence around alcohol, I would recommend reading a book by a woman named Annie Grace. Her book is entitled This Naked Mind control alcohol. Annie takes the approach of looking at alcohol from a scientific perspective. She was, by her own account, a problematic drinker, but she wasn't really sure if she was an alcoholic. So she set about on a quest to really understand alcohol and everything that she found she presents in her book. It's a really fantastic take on what alcohol actually does to our bodies. And she takes seriously the notion that we have the power to choose whether or not we want to be drinkers. So if you don't want to go to an AA meeting immediately, I would suggest reading Annie Grace. Another professional out there that's doing really good work in areas of moderation is Dr. Addy Jaffe, and he's got a book called The Abstinence Myth. It's terrific. So I would point you in that direction as well. The final person I would suggest reading and listening to is Gabor Mate. Gabor is a fascinating medical doctor who has done incredible work in areas of palliative care and addiction and who became famous for his first book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghost. Gabor is a really deep thinker. 
And I believe he offers what has to be the most compelling explanation for why any of us end up misusing alcohol. He believes that we're essentially just trying to soothe our pain. And I think he's right. When I reflect on my own life, any time that I've used alcohol in ways that are not healthy or irresponsible, it's mostly been about avoiding hard realities or numbing some kind of pain. It's only when I get underneath the pain and I look at what's causing the pain, am I able to see how pointless it is to dump alcohol on my problems. But I also appreciate that Gabor takes seriously the notion that we must find meaning in our lives. In my clinical practice, I find that people who get their drinking under control do so in large part because they create a life they love so much, they become unwilling to sacrifice that life to alcohol. I really think this is true and gets at the heart of the matter. If you set about building a life that you find meaningful, you are going to be far less likely to sacrifice the goodness and the joy of that life for any amount of booze. While there's lots that can be said about alcohol, and we'll devote more episodes to it down the line, but that's all I got for you today. Peace and love. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it was time well spent. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And come find me online on Instagram at Ryan Casey Waller or my website, ryancaseywaller.com. See you next week. Until then, may the path you're walking be filled with curiosity, peace, and love.